Greetings, everyone. I'm Tiffany Wingfield, Director of Member Relations and the ASHP Staff Liaison of the Pharmacy Technician Forum here at ASHP. Thanks for joining. I am excited to share with you that today's episode is a curated feature focusing on topics important to pharmacy technicians from the exceptional programming from the 2022 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Please enjoy the voices of your colleagues as they share the latest clinical information, leadership advice, and best practices in the practice of pharmacy. I am gonna, uh, before we start shifting to workforce uh, for pharmacy staff, I'll, I'll talk about uh, technicians, as Mike said, uh, then I'll turn it over to Phil to talk about pharmacists, and uh, Doug will end with uh, just burnout and different ways to approach things and think about things. So it's really workforce for the rest of the session. And, um, but before we, before we, uh, get into pharmacy, I just want to present some information about what's going on with the rest of the healthcare workforce. All of this is probably not surprising information, but uh, there was a recent survey of nurses um, where uh, they looked at uh, what their staffing concerns were and how they're feeling about their jobs. And about uh, two-thirds uh, of those nurses said that there was inf insufficient staffing was um, one of their uh, biggest current frustrations. And the other things that uh, they mentioned were um, low wages and respect for the work that they do. And I think that we can easily translate that many, in many ways to, uh, to pharmacy. Um, so we also have some data up here on, uh, and, oh, and then 50% were thinking about leaving their jobs. I don't know if you've heard your staff talk about that. Um, mine seem to. Um, 51% of physicians have considered leaving for a different job in healthcare, and we know that people can land in a lot of different places. 41% um, have stated that they consider leaving medicine altogether, and, and many are considering early retirement. And I think that 41% probably includes a lot of that. I know that certainly uh, COVID has changed the dynamic for many of us with our workforces, uh, and it's no different for uh, physicians or, or nurses. And we also know that turnover costs money, and there's been some uh, estimates of very high expenditures uh, uh, resulting from that. So. <clears throat> That's just sort of a frame to the conversation here. Um, I think a lot of this won't be surprising, but it's documented. And that's why we do the national survey is to document where we are. And here we have information on perceived shortages of technicians. So we ask, um, we ask the directors that receive the survey what their perception is about availability of qualified staff. Uh, for the following positions. And in 2021, uh, it really uh, jumped up for shortages for even entry-level technicians. Um, and that really uh, stayed there in, in 2022. It's, it's almost 75% of, of hospitals believe, uh, directors believe that there's a shortage of entry-level technicians. And when you get to experienced technicians, we've also seen an increase too. That's the dark blue line there where in 2021 it went up to about 85%, it exceeded 90% of, of, of hospitals are experiencing uh, shortages of, of experienced technicians. You add sterile compound into that and it just goes off the chart um, because those people are very skilled uh, technical staff 
uh, that require a lot of knowledge uh, to be able to do those jobs and, and those people don't really exist. We first started asking about that in 2018. Um, so we'll have more on that over time and hopefully that will drop. So uh, we also asked about vacancy rates. So uh, what per, we, we calculated the percentage based on uh, how many staff they have and how many uh, staff were budgeted. Uh, so the gap is the vacancy. And uh, we'll focus on the light blue line here. That's our technicians. Phil will talk about the dark blue line. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's above 12%. It was a huge jump in uh, 2021. Uh, and uh, basically stayed there, well above 12, 12 to 13 uh, percent vacancy for uh, technicians right now for hospitals. So uh, we, we also asked, have you had to replace someone over the last year? Um, and not surprisingly, all of the large facilities said yes, okay? uh, because you have large uh, technical staffs. All right, but overall, 75% of hospitals had to replace a technician or more over the course of the last 12 months. Only 25% uh, said that they, uh, their staff stayed the same and they didn't need to replace anybody. So where are they going uh, when someone leaves? Uh, the most common uh, destination for a technician when they leave is another pharmacy technician position. In some ways, that could be good or bad, depending on whether the glass is half full or half empty. Good, they're not leaving the technician workforce. Bad, they left you, right? Uh, and then you have to go through the uh, challenge of posting a position, uh, going through an interview process, training them to the way that uh, it works at your facility, um, it's, a, it's a lengthy and costly process. 51% uh, of uh, respondents indicated that they had a, a technician that just left healthcare, that went somewhere else. And in many places, that may not be a surprising response in the sense that um, some of our technicians don't make a wage that's very much different than what they can make doing something else. Um, so that, that was... Uh, a little bit surprising, but also uh, uh, validating for what uh, our experiences were at, at my facility. Um, some are leaving for college, about a third of them had someone leave for college or other educational effort. Um, others, uh, about a third of them lost, to, lost a technician to a higher paying position within their health system. 22% um, uh, had somebody retire. Um, and then there were a lot of other reasons or they weren't sure where uh, the folks went. So what do you do when you leave, when you have technician shortages? This was our next uh, uh, inquiry and uh, we found a lot of this stuff uh, very interesting. So um, uh, probably not surprising, 64% uh, uh, of facilities are backfilling with pharmacists. Um, that's not working at the top of the license, but it's something that you have to do. We have to distribute the drugs in the facility and we have to make sure um, that they are prepared accurately. 
Um, so a lot of times you have to re rely on your pharmacist, at least that's what folks are telling us. 61% said, well, they went to the overtime route, um, trying to get people to stay a little bit longer. Uh, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. 52% said that they uh, are increasing their outsourcing. Uh, so they're using more uh, 503Bs or uh, premixes so that they don't have to compound as many products. Um, that costs a little bit more, but it helps on the labor side. Um, increasing intern hours, if you work in a large city and you have a pharmacy school close to you and you have interns, some uh, have uh, relied on their interns. About 20% uh, backfilled from other non-traditional technician roles. Mike went over some of the things that uh, technicians are doing. Maybe you have a technician that's working in IT for you and, and, and cobbling them back and helping with just distribution efforts. Um, another 19% decline vacation, which is not really a long-term strategy for success, but it's something you have to do to take care of patients. Uh, another 19% reduced services, for example, uh, reducing the number of deliveries or the frequency of those deliveries. Um, some relied on agency or temporary staff, but that's a very expensive op option. Um, and the one that I skipped in the middle is the no change. Only 20% of facilities didn't have to make changes to operations because of their technical staff situation, staffing. So from an HR perspective, people told us some fabulous stuff. Um, and uh, I'm going to go right to um, uh, the top, which is off-cycle wage increases. Over half uh, said that they implemented off-cycle wage increases. Um, others started paying for uh, their certification, their PTCB certification, for example, or their CE, uh, of almost 40%. 30, a third said implementing a career ladder, so uh, giving the technicians something to think about as far as career growth and development. Um, Sign-on bonuses, 31%. Uh, retention bonuses, 23%. Um, incentivizing less desirable shifts, 27%. Um, so lots of other things on here. I won't read through it all, um, but uh, even partnering with external technician training programs or paying for technician training for, uh, for, for, for those that aren't technicians so that they could become uh, technicians. Um, and uh, none of these, I, let's focus on that, only 7% of respondents, 7 to 8% said, we didn't have to do anything on human resources. Um, which is saying that basically everybody had to do something. We also asked um, if they've experienced a technician shortage and, and uh, just uh, reiterating some of the other data, 17% said uh, that they had not experienced technician shortage. Um, almost all of the facilities, 100 beds or larger, uh, basically have experienced technician mm -hmm. shortages, which is a challenge for us to provide the services that we do. Uh, we also asked uh, about, well, what have you done as far as, uh, did you create a new uh, job that doesn't have technician in the title as a way to perhaps uh, increase the salary of the individual or to improve hiring of non-traditional roles? Um, and 17% uh, uh, said that they had done that. And some of the roles uh, that they mentioned uh, are uh, in purchasing or finance, uh, 60%. 56% said uh, 340B management, 
information technology, having a supervisory role uh, for a technician. Uh, as Mike talked about, uh, all the different roles that we're having pharmacy uh, technicians perform, controlled substance management, um, getting them involved in a patient assistance program uh, to sort of help with those transitions of care uh, processes. Um, regulatory standards, Mike mentioned uh, USP requirements and 797 and all of that where that's going given that the uh, new chapter has been published and uh, thankfully we have a year to uh, to come into compliance but I think a lot of folks will be going down that route there's also a fair number of others um, such as uh, billing and uh, compounding quality coordinators and uh, you know leads and these types of things safety other roles that uh, folks are creating different positions in. This I found interesting uh, because we wondered as a, as a group, we talked a lot about, well, what does it mean for um, what we're expecting when we're hiring technicians? And I think the first thing is to note the purple bar, which is 2022, it's compared to, to 2018, was Basically, we've uh, uh, lowered the bar uh, for what we're expecting for our technicians when we hire them. Uh, that's what the survey data tell us. It went from 18 to 11 uh, percent said that they require uh, certification uh, before they're hired. Um, uh, some said that they, they said, okay, well, we required after hire. So that went up a little bit. It makes a little sense if you're not going to require it before hire. Um, uh, the, it, about the same prefer, preferred before hire. And uh, what went up is uh, certification uh, training is not a requirement for uh, hiring. So again, what these tell me is we've lowered the bar for what we're going to take uh, for uh, technician applicants. I think it's just a reality of what's going on. So with that, wrapping up, I would like to get some feedback from the audience. I'm curious what you've done, uh, given if you've had a technician shortage, what you've done from an operational standpoint. Does it make sense what you see here? What have you done from an HR standpoint? Um, uh, uh, and have you implemented anything unique that you'd like to share that perhaps we haven't talked about? Uh, if from the survey results. Hi, uh, Jim. Good to see you, Jim. You too. You know, it's, uh, it's been interesting. We're in about 100 plus hospitals right now supporting a variety of different projects. And I think what we're seeing is shortage numbers that are even higher right now. I think on average, we're, our client base is probably 20 to 30% short and really struggling. They're not making a lot of headway against those vacancies. Jim, do you know the average bed size of those institutions you're in? Does it, because our data, if you look at the hospital size, it certainly correlates. So if you're in larger institutions, then. Yeah, I see the exact same thing. Larger institutions yeah. seem to be struggling more. Okay. Yeah. We don't have it. Hi, Janet. Um, we too have been seeing that our numbers are a lot higher than um, what you know has been shared here. We're averaging around 26% for technician vacancy. 
A um, couple of things that we did in collaboration with HR is sort of change the hiring process to speed the process up. Sometimes, you know, the large academic medical centers, it would take a long time to get um, applicants through the process. So we implemented a new process where, you know, we were interviewing at least about, you know, 12 technicians a week and making offers by the end of the week, which has helped to some extent. But what we found over time, the um, definitely experience and qualifications of the technicians has basically plateaued or you know declined. Um, the other thing we did is looked at some of the practices across the institution, particularly with nursing. So we now are offering um, critical pay for technicians that are picking up extra shifts that we have deemed to be, you know, critical pay shifts after staffing has gotten below what our um, minimums should be. Thank you for sharing all of that. You're welcome. Hi, uh, I'm from Canada. And we are also seeing the critical staffing shortages with our technicians and pharmacists. One thing that we impl implemented a couple of years ago for our pharmacy technician shortage is working with um, our local colleges and hiring the pharmacy technicians in the accredited programs and hiring them as a one-year contract as a pharmacy assistant. And then we will provide them their 12-week structured training program. And then for the rest of the time, they're working for us in roles that are um, suited for a pharmacy assistant because we require all of our pharmacy technicians to be regulated since 2015 and that was what partly caused the pharmacy technician shortage. Uh, so over the last couple of years that strategy has been very successful, um, hiring like four to six pharmacy assistants, having them go through the program and then at the end they write their licensing exams and then they pass and then we hire them on with a full-time permanent pharmacy technician program. We've done a very similar thing with partnering with our local technician training programs. The challenge that we've had with that is that they don't have a lot of students. Like there's not a lot of students that want to get into that uh, and pay for, for that training program. So what we've done is we've actually opened up our own training program at the hospital uh, so that we can train ours and then we pay for them. We're, we pay for their enrollment in that program. So very similar. Hi, John and Mary. As I say hi to two of my former professors and my resident I was with, Mike. Um, we saw a lot of the trends that you saw. One of our sites in the we had managers actually going into the IV room having to compound at times. We saw just pulling back a medrex, so it's not only the pharmacists not at the top of their license, our techs are trying to elevate, they had to get pulled back. Some of the strategies we have, because I'm the owner of the metric for the system, is just tech training. So in Ohio, we have certified as well as registered techs. We want them to be certified to be totally empowered in the hospital. So we have our own internal program where it's no cost to our enrollees that perhaps we get someone who's ambitious from environmental services, food and nutrition that we put in the program where we can get them to be able to pass a board certification. But we're also looking at partnering with local schools too. So do they have a pr program that we can partner with to get those students to come in, work or be their site? And do we expect to see these technicians, as we know the, the turnover, they go to elsewhere, always be with us? No, but 
they could stay with us. We could actually have other programs for like nursing that we eventually get them to where they want to be. So we're going to be a starter feeder, feeder program too. So the only thing I would say if you're going to do this is um, there was a great article from New Haven Yale that was written by um, Stacy Robertson, one of our other uh, classmates for the Red Sea. Um, look back in the journals and it might be a good starting place for you. Thanks, John. Hello, I'm Eliza. Um, my school serves five counties with three hospitals and probably 16 or 17 retail pharmacies, you know, 500 mile radius. Um, and so they actually got together and reached out to where I work now, Southwest Technical College, and said, we need a pharmacy tech program. You know, we're all too small to pay or go through that work ourselves, but all together, and you're already a school, you do accreditations, and so we're in the first year of our pharmacy tech program, and we only have like a cohort of 20, but those 20 students are gonna go out to the areas that are already, you know, three, four techs down. Um, so I thought that was really cool that the rural community came together and like, we need this, requested it from a school. And so if you're in that similar situation where we're kind of a small place, maybe reach out to your local schools and see would you be willing to start the program and we'll incentivize people. Thanks, Eliza, that's great. I did that when I worked at a r rural facility too. <laughs> Hello, I'm Keila and I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan and I run a pharmacy tech program at we actually closed our farm tech program. As you stated, students aren't going into, they don't want to pay the $5,000 it takes to, for training. And so I have decided to do some innovative thing. We started a technician uh, boot camp. So we are an accredited program from um, uh, ASHP. So doing the minimum requirement of a 10-week program that we started like three weeks ago, so we're gonna see what's gonna happen with this. Um, and what we're doing is partnering, we, we put it on our workforce development side of the house of the community college. We're partnering with our Michigan Works. There's a lot of uh, government funding that's out there. There's state funding, government funding. I personally think the way that we're going to see our training go is with a lot of apprenticeship model. So apprenticeships are becoming very, very big. I am also a part-time pharmacist with Michigan Medicine with the University of Michigan. So almost everything on your list um, we're doing at the University of Michigan to in increase um, you know, our technicians and getting them in. One of the Another unique thing that I heard of that we're not doing, which I think is a great idea, is using that nursing model of the three-day work week where they're working the longer shifts and making it more attractive for technicians that come in and do their work. Well, just like the nurses, so working more in that way. So we're gonna see a lot of changes. I think it's not, there's not gonna be one solution. There's gonna be many solutions that we're gonna have to do to uh, increase uh, technician um, uh, wages is gonna be very important and, and everything on the list, we're just gonna have to do it because what, what are we here for? We're here for our patients and patients come first. Thanks, Kayla. I think with that, I think we should move on to the next 
discussion point, and we can talk more about this as we go on. Yep, one more. Yep, Actually, one more. One more. Rob, I saw you making a move for the microphone. You have an international perspective, thank you, and thank you for the Canadian perspective as well. Yes, yeah, so of course, it's always hard for not being in the U.S. And, and seeing it from a different perspective. I'm a hospital pharmacist from the Netherlands. And um, what I'm perceiving, it, it's all about people leaving and indeed trying to get people in. But how are technicians perceived? How is that job perceived? And if you have to pay 5,000 euros, which for the Dutch would be an absolutely no-go, but I know in the systems. But is it a return on investment? Is it a, a job that people like? Shouldn't you be fi focusing on that more, that it's a job that there must be, a, I don't know what the entry level is, but it must be something like, wow, you can, you can be part of that health system. And I haven't heard anything about that yet. I, I think it's a challenging conversation. There are some papers, at least looking at the United States, different, different healthcare jobs that have technician in the title and the pharmacist is, the pharmacy technician is among the lowest paid of any med tech, radiology tech, any other tech. So perception wise, I don't think we're there. I think it is part of the challenge that we're faced with. You know, we, we didn't ask about uh, job satisfaction, obviously with pharmacy technicians in our survey, but PTCB has done that just this year, just a few months ago. And if you look at the results, there's a bit of a disconnect because the job satisfaction for okay. most technicians that they surveyed was actually pretty high, but yet we still have the shortages and, and the other challenges that we're all describing here. So it, it, it seems to be a bit of a disconnect because if you see only that data, you think, well, technicians are pretty happy in what they do, but, but nonetheless, they are, they are leaving those positions or many times it's difficult to recruit. Well, and let me add, too, I think what people told us, too, is implementation of career ladders to give people some idea of where they can go. And uh, that's something that we've done at our, at our facility where um, when they come in, they, they focus on triage and the basic things that need to be done to distribute medications. And then the law, as they master that, then they add different components in different areas uh, to what they do. And as they do that, then they learn what they like because uh, they're actually doing that. And we have a lot of conversations with our staff about finding a place where they can do stuff that they like. Sometimes they have to do stuff that they don't like, uh, but to try to find, and each one of them is different. There's not a great way to predict whether they're gonna like to do this or that. Um, some find their way into our infusion uh, compounding area, and that's what they love. They love to do that. Others, they don't want to have anything to do with that at all. Um, some take responsibility for our OR uh, pharmacy and everything that happens in the OR, and they really enjoy that. Others don't. So that's the way we've approached that, is to just sort of add on tasks, and, and then they, they get assigned to those shifts, and they do those jobs, and then as that goes, then they do other things. So I think it's a really good commentary about what do they like? Is it an enjoyable job? We've recently gone through, the number one thing was pay increases at my facility. So uh, we implemented some uh, pretty steep pay increases for our technical staff um, because it was one, the right thing to do, but just what was happening in the market, uh, we needed to do it. And uh, that's gone over very well. Thanks so much for listening in today. Be sure to follow us at ASHP Official wherever you listen to podcasts, and check back soon to hear more featurettes from the 2022 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Until then, this is Tiffany Wingfield from ASHP Official, 
and thank you for all that you do for your patients.